Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey Geekscapists, welcome to a brand new Geekscape podcast. I'm Jonathan London, your host. And for those of you new to Geekscape, this is how it works. I sit down with someone from the worlds of movies, video games, comic books, TV, uh, pop culture, and we talk about stories. Mainly their stories, but we talk a little bit about why they tell the stories, the context in which they tell their stories, and what stories they tell. That's the show. Um, Right now, I think that um, everything's gone haywire. (laughs) We're on social distancing uh, quarantine and um, the world's a little different than the last time we talked on Geekscape so um, it's a little crazy let me catch you up a little bit Uh, my guest this week is uh, Ralph D'Amato Ralph is a producer on the new Tony Hawk uh, documentary about the Tony Hawk game series he was also a producer on the Tony Hawk video games uh, for at least eight iterations of the games we talk a bit about that uh, on the podcast coming up, but as I said, this is a different world than, than when we last uh, did a Geekscape. Um, I've actually, uh, lots happened in the last few weeks. Um, it seems like just yesterday everything was really uh, normal, and now we find ourselves in social distancing and in quarantine, and I asked myself before I record this if it even matters that we're <laughs> doing a Geekscape, why even... Uh, do this? Do you, are you guys consuming this? Is this important to you guys? Does this bring normalcy to your life? Um, let me see. One of our favorite Geekscapists, a, a friend that I saw in Austin, Ian Rainey, uh, when I asked if it matters that I still do a Geekscape at a time like this, Ian says, in these times with no normalcy, I think having something to listen to that reminds us of the people we care about, the things we care about, and that mostly we will get through this, it really matters keep being the glue that keeps this community together my friend uh so thank you ian um i think i'm the if i'm glue i'm the glue that you're sniffing uh hopefully the glue that is making you enjoy things a little bit better than you've been enjoying been enjoying them because it's been crazy uh i told you guys that i was going out of town to austin 
to help my parents with their home renovations and uh, reorganize. My parents are older and uh, they've been remodeling their house and it caused the downstairs to be moved to the upstairs and now that they're trying to move back into the house, the there's just nowhere to move and they can't lift things by themselves and, and there's decisions to be made. And um, do we even hold on to some of these things like uh, that my brother and I grew up with in that house and there was a lot of, of decisions that needed to be made about th- property and about um, the future purpose of some of the spaces in that house uh, um, it was important for me to be there but I could not have planned a weirder time to travel Austin was a week out from South by Southwest which would eventually have gotten cancelled but at the time that I was renting a truck so that I could move things uh, and drive them to Goodwill or get rid of them uh, which is a lot of the weekend the weekend was spent with a lot of heavy lifting and a lot of stairs and a lot of uh, work uh, also, if you follow my social media, you also saw that I did a lot of peeling back the years and, and going through old things in an attic, uh, an attic that was uh, inaccessible and unusable, and now the attic looks pretty Marie Kondoed, so I'm going to pat myself on the back for that one. Um, it was a lot of work, but now there are parts of the house that are functional that weren't. My parents weren't hoarders. It was, again the combination of a two-story house becoming a one-story house so that renovations could be made in one of the floors. So um, there was two floors worth of stuff on a single floor that needed to be navigated and redistributed, and a lot of it had to be tossed, and that was my job. So um, it, was, it, was a, it was a weird trip, but I, I went to rent a truck, and uh, at the time on that Friday that I was going to rent the truck, there were people from South by Southwest that still thought that that conference was going to happen. Um, I was hopeful that it was going to happen. I was hopeful that we could still congregate in social ways and uh, go and have some level of normalcy. But the truth is that this isn't a normal situation. This is a pandemic that we're in. And a lot of those normal things that, that we uh, <laughs> have come to assume, uh, they got to go out the window. You have to social distance. And, uh, and it sucks, but by the, uh, when I first flew to Austin that Thursday, I believe it was the 6th, it wasn't, I mean, it was 11 days ago, I get on the plane at LAX and there, and there are people wiping the planes down, the, the, the front of the seat, the back of the seat, the, everything. And I thought that I'd walked into a musical number because everyone has their wipes and their sprays and their masks. And I honestly felt like I walked into a musical number and they were in the middle of some synchronized movement (laughs) and they were going to bust out the song i don't know what that musical or that song would have been called but i was suddenly on a plane with a bunch of people who were dressed a little bit different than me all completely acting differently than i and uh i was like am i in the right movie uh and i flew to austin and as i said things got a little bit weirder and weirder and then by the time i got back in the uh back on a plane on that following tuesday the 10th which was only seven days it was a week ago a week ago, I got I go to the Austin airport, and yes, you should be using the hand sanitizer, and uh, social distancing wasn't really a thing uh, quite yet, and I get into the airport, and I order some food, and I'm, I'm just, let's face it, I'm eating like a little piggy. It was my last chance to get barbecue in Texas before I fly back to LA, where there's just not as good a barbecue, and it, even though it's barbecue in the airport, I'm like stuffing it down my throat like a little pig. 
and I'm eating so fast that I start to choke. And I'm sitting there choking, and I look up, and I realize that everyone around me is looking at me choke, almost to death, and they're scared. They actually think I'm coughing. They think that uh, I'm sick, or uh, any of these pandemic, uh, you know, uh, signs of, uh, of infection. And I get looks that are like, stay away from him, son. <laughs> and, and there's just this look in the people around me's eyes as I'm choking, as I'm in need of somebody to come up and smack the back of my head or the, or, or, or my back or give me the Heimlich or anything. Um, I realize I'm going to die. I realize that this is going to be the lamest fucking way to die because I didn't chew my food enough and I didn't slow down when I ate and now I'm going to sit there and I'm going to choke to death and I'm not sick and I'm not showing signs except there's fear and the people around me aren't going to let me choke to death and die <laughs> because they don't want to get near me. I have expected somebody to show up in a hazmat suit with a flamethrower and, uh, and, and threaten to light me up. Luckily, luckily, I, uh, I managed to not choke to death and uh, drink some water and get myself breathing again. But it was a little scary. It was a close call. And um, I can't really say I blame anybody. You know, for all intents and purposes, it looked like I was coughing. Um, I think at the end of the day, like, Geekscapists, I know that social distancing is important. Distancing is important. I know that washing your hands is important. I know that all these precautions that we're taking to slow the pandemic or uh, what are they saying, flatten the curve, all that stuff's really important. At the end of the day, chew your damn food. <laughs> slow down. Chew your food. Don't kill yourself on accident uh, doing this stuff. Hopefully don't kill yourself at all, but on accident, just be a grown adult. Don't eat like that and uh, do whatever you can to not have the Darwin Award for moron who dies during a pandemic, not from the pandemic, but from eating too fast. Uh, it was it was not my brightest moment. Um, so yeah, just flash forward to landing in Los Angeles and slowly the whole thing starts to, to come together as it maybe it did in your neighborhood, in your neck of the woods. And, uh, and the world starts turning upside down. It starts turning into something that uh, I think only in... Uh, third world areas or in war-torn areas uh, places that are completely foreign to the United States for the most part do we have situations where there's uh, self-quarantine or uh, we've heard all sorts of things we've heard people uh, online is a really weird place to be right now uh, people you know accusing each other of, um, of not just quarantine but uh, totalitarianism and enacting curfews. From what I can tell, there are no curfews. <laughs> you can be out as late as you want. You can be out 24-7. Just don't be out within six feet of another person. So um, these things that I think uh, are, are, are rights and our assumptions as, as American citizens, at least from where I'm standing, are all kind of thrown into question now that we, uh, now that we um, are all uh, uh, kind of living under different circumstances. So... I question whether or not we still do the Geekscape. If you guys still really need a Geekscape, but people like Ian are saying, hey, you, you actually are doing an important role in normalizing the abnormal times that we are in. I totally appreciate that. I'll try and get you guys more uh, Geekscapes. But damn, is this not a strange place. 
Um, I teach two college classes a week. Those have all become remote. Uh, so now I'm teaching over basically um, Skype. This episode you're about to listen to, done over Skype, uh, different video conferencing software. I'm starting to learn just so that I can continue to uh, teach. Uh, the projects that I'm working on have all kind of slowed down, which is really, really stinks. Uh, Heidi and I were submitting Chasing Fletcher Allen to film festivals. Majority of those film festivals are now getting canceled, which is insane because, well, we spent quite a bit of money on these festival submissions, and these festivals aren't even probably going to happen. So that sucks. Uh, and as far as the other projects, well, there's some casting announcements on a film or other projects that I'm working on that I would love to have happen one day. Uh, we did put a cast together for some stuff and now we're just kind of sitting here with the agency working from home not knowing when we're going to get a chance to go make a film. So we're using the time as effectively as we can. We're trying to talk to financiers or try and do some outreach on how to get the movie uh, going or some of the other projects going but it's kind of nuts, right? <laughs> I don't know how you guys have been affected in your lives, but for sure reach out to me and let me know and I'll talk about it here on the podcast. I'd like to do a solo podcast pretty soon talking about this strange, almost sci-fi-like time that we're sitting in. Um, obviously in the world of pop culture and fiction, this has been covered in a lot of ways. You know, uh, I think on Netflix, one of the most popular movies right now is um, Outbreak, the Dennis Hopper movie. Dennis Hoffman, Hoffman movie. Man, if Dennis Hopper was in that movie, it would have been psycho. You know if Dennis Hopper was in that movie, he would have had an eye patch like in Waterworld. <laughs> he would have been acting like King Koopa from Super Mario Brothers and acting all nuts. So thank God Dennis Hopper is not an outbreak and then it's Dennis Hoffman. Um, <clears throat> Dustin Hoffman. So I'm definitely, definitely out of sorts right now, guys. And I'm trying to help you guys out and help myself out with adding a little bit of normalcy in a Geekscape episode. Um, I went to see a movie before things got shut down. I went to see Onward, which I thought was amazing. And I hope you guys got a chance to see it in the week that it was out before things got shut down. I thought the movie was beautiful. But I got to tell you, um, social distancing was about to become a thing. And at the time, we were already being told, like, spray stuff down. Be sure you're not near other people. And when I went to the theaters, um, and it's crazy. It feels like forever ago. This was actually just a few days ago. Um, there was nobody in the theater when Heidi and I walked in to see Onward. And I didn't really know a whole lot about Onward, but I ended up loving the film. It moved me to tears because uh, the subject matter of it, which I didn't want to... If you don't know anything about Onward, it's the fantasy film that Pixar did, but it's kind of a modernized fantasy where there's a world of fantasy and uh, elves and trolls and dragons, but over time magic has given way to technology and now the world looks a lot like our modern society and magic is more of a myth and there's these two brothers who uh, inherit something from their parents and now they go on a quest and if you love Dungeons and Dragons if you love all of that stuff which I'm guessing you do because you listen to Geekscape I definitely recommend Onward but I go into this completely empty theater and Heidi and I spray down the seat with our you know, spray. You know, you got to have a spray now. You got to spray your hands. You got to spray your surfaces. We spray everything down and we sit down in like the perfect seats, right in the middle, several rows back, perfect view of the screen. We're the only ones in the theater. It was like midday. And here come two other people a mother and her daughter 
And they literally, out of all the seats in the theater, they sit one seat away from me. That ain't six feet away, as recommended by the social distancing uh, rules. Well, literally, comes in like it's nothing, like it's just an average day, and we're all going to die. And I'm just trying to enjoy a little bit of a movie before we're all in the purge. And this girl comes and sits like right, her mom just sits her right next to me, one seat down. And I'm just like, oh, fuck no. Like, please give it up for education. Give it up for people who are out there like really reading about this thing and trying to figure out the rules of how to, uh, uh, the best practices for slowing the, the virus and for making sure that we're still here six months from now. Um, because I don't think, I think they maybe missed a memo. <laughs> on what you should do in social situations and now at this point you just don't have social situations i'm talking to you guys remotely it's perfect for us geeks like we were always social isolationists you know um i talked to you guys through a computer but we do like to venture out every now and then and movies are our churches and our places of worship and a lot of these places like arcades and movies and that's you know gaming uh, places, this is, you know, shit, man. How many D&D games have, you, have been affected by this thing? Uh, we got to sacrifice them for a while. And we got to sacrifice movies. I'm glad that I got to see Onward in a theater. But, you know, I'm going to have to sacrifice it. Keep in mind, I did get up and move. <laughs> we went and resprayed new seats. And we moved. We did not sit next to the little girl and her mom, who I hope by now have... Uh, have figured out that that was not really the, the behavior you're supposed to have. <laughs> Go into an empty theater and sit as close to the other human beings as possible during a uh, pretty contagious pandemic. Um, shit, it's crazy. It is crazy. We may not be getting movies for a while. We may not be getting any of this. And, uh, and we're just going to have to hang tight. We're just going to have to find ways to entertain ourselves. You're just going to have to play Monkey Island a million more times, which is probably what I'm going to do. Um, and we're just going to have to kind of uh, batten the hatches and, and weather this. Okay, so I'm back. I'm going to be bringing you guys more Geekscapes. Uh, my producer, George, and I, we're going to be opening things up Skype-wise. You're going to be hearing Geekscapes that maybe don't sound uh, as, as good as the in-person Geekscapes. Maybe we're going to have a little bit of hiccups on the technical side, but these are Geekscapes that are going to have to be done remotely from now on. Uh, at least for the foreseeable future. So get ready for that. Um, that being said, we, we'd love your help. If you want to share Geekscape, tell people about us. That'd be huge. That would be huge. Um, I, on the other hand, will, will, will promise not to choke to death um, and continue to provide you guys with podcasts. That is my part of the bargain. If you guys continue to share Geekscape and listen and support and communicate with me. Send me emails. Post on social media. Tell me what you think. Tell me about your experience going through this insane time. I promise you that I will no longer, that I will chew my food like an adult. And I won't fucking choke to death while other people poke me with a stick and then light me on fire so that my body will no longer be a source for contagion. Okay? That's the promise I have for you guys. Okay? I think that's the best I can do. Enjoy this episode. This is... Uh, uh, our, my, he's now my friend, all right? So 
Ralph is a producer on the new Tony Hawk uh, documentary that we talk about when it's going to come out uh, in the conversation. And he was a producer on a lot of the Tony Hawk skate video games. So enjoy this conversation. I'm going to dedicate this episode to my good buddy Derek Cranevelt in Vancouver who really, really wanted this episode. And I'm so glad you did because I had a great time recording it. Enjoy, guys. Hey, Ralph. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good. We've never actually met in person. And not that you don't live in uh, the Los Angeles kind of adjacent area, but uh, we're under quarantine. Yeah. Right <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Probably best to do this uh, over over uh, over the waves, over the internet versus face to face at this point. What's funny is that, uh, if anything is funny, is that my producer, George, is in Long Beach and he was like, hey, he lives in, you know, South Orange County and... <laughs> you know, you can, you can go and visit him. I said, yeah, that sounds good. He's like, yeah, pick me up on the way. We can have a hang session. And I'm like, dude, I don't know. I mean, this was before the, the coronavirus and the, the, um, the social distancing got implemented because, uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of cool with doing it over Skype and Zencaster. And, you know, uh, I do like and prefer doing Geekscapes in person. Yeah. I can gauge the conversation and sure. how the other person is doing, but um, at the end of the day, this is for the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my band had a uh, had, we had a gig on Friday, and I was trying to coerce the guys into, hey, you know, I don't think this is the best idea in the world, but I was odd man out, so we we did the gig, and we were thinking, oh, it's not going to be that crowded because people, you know, they're going to be all afraid. And it was in Newport, and the place was completely packed. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, it's been four, four what do they say? I think the incubation period is like four days or something. So I'm still all good. So I'm hoping nobody at that nobody at that place uh, had anything. Yeah, thankfully. and I'm hoping that midday tomorrow you weren't like, oh, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. So probably better I'm, I'm here and you're there. <laughs> Ralph, what's the name of your band? Uh, Dead End Road. Yeah. And you Dead. guys play like, uh, uh, like what would be the bands that you would – um, associate with like what, what are some uh, of the, like your references for that Ramones stuff? Social mm-hmm. D I mean we play a lot of covers that's what we play now I mean so we play a lot of 80s covers um, yeah Ramones Social D The Cure um, just in excess all kinds of a variety of 80s uh, we even go back and in, into some 60s and 70s and then some current stuff uh, as you well guys but play Don't Change yeah, yeah, we play "Don't Change." Yeah, we you fucking, that's the best song. Yeah, I mean, no offense to NXS fans anywhere, but that is yeah, the best. Yeah. Have you, that's have one of we play. Have you seen that that um, Bruce Springsteen video of him playing in Australia? He does "Don't Change." No, and no, it's it's awesome. No, I haven't it, seen you, that. I'll have to check it out. Have to go on YouTube because yeah. it's like the it's like the original E Street Band. But huh. then he, he but then he's also got um, what's his name from from uh, Rage Against the Machine? Oh, um, Zach. Uh, no, not Zach. Uh, oh, um, uh, the guitar player. Uh, right. What's his name? Ah, uh, gosh. Yeah. Every, gonna... every time I reference that video, I'm like, holy crap. Just look at the different people that are on stage with Bruce Springsteen doing Don't Change. And it goes on like a medley. Yeah. And then he's got a choir in there. Huh. So he has this choir that starts going nuts. Well, that sounds interesting. During those, I don't even, I'm not a musician. I don't know what they are. But Tom Morello. Like, you're talking Tom about. Morello. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Tom Morello's on stage. And... It's a pretty incredible rendition of Don't Change. Which yeah, I love that song. That song, I awesome. mean, it definitely gets people up and dancing and stuff. So it's, mm-hmm. uh, 
it's fun. You know, we're just, we're just a local cover band, but I actually, back in the day, I'd put one of our songs. Cause I was, I was one of the producers that handled the soundtracks for the video games, um, for the Tony Hawk games. So I put one of the tracks, one of our tracks called Sin City in Tony Hawk's underground two. And because of that, we get like, I don't know, between 13 to 20,000, uh, plays on Spotify a month. Still? Yeah, still, because we get we get wrapped up in all of the Tony Hawk playlists. So we get, you know, about 20, 25 bucks a month in our in my TuneCore account from that song, just doing nothing. We've got like if you go to our Spotify Dead End Road, we have like it it ranges between 10 to, to 12, 14,000 subscribers. And we have like two songs. <laughs> and the majority of them are that uh, yeah. song that was on the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Sin City has got over a half a million plays on Spotify because it was on that soundtrack back in, I don't know, what year, 2002 or whatever. That's insanity. Yeah, before Spotify even existed. Yeah, it was but It's pretty crazy. I had heard that. And if Geekscape is, if you are a brand new Geekscape listener, uh, I had Chris Demakes from Lesson Jake on the show. And All right. we, were, when we were talking about, are you a Lesson Jake fan? Yeah, 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 for yeah. sure. And and so we were talking about the fact that um, some of those '80s bands got so much more money from uh, from Guitar Hero than they ever did when those oh, yeah. when, when they were playing on the airwaves during the '80s or the early '90s. So you have like Flock of Seagulls with she ran or yeah. I ran I yeah. ran is their song, yeah. and, and it's it's on Guitar Hero, and it's in because of the download numbers, it's making up so much more money. I don't think Spotify is the same thing, but uh were there like additional soundtracks that you could order on tony Hawk pro skater because i've only played a handful of those titles and i always remember the soundtracks being awesome yeah and yeah. i think the soundtrack was a gateway for a lot of people to get into that music yeah for sure yeah it was and we did a um we did a full soundtrack i think it was for american waste i can't remember which one it was where we had a bunch of they all kind of blend I, you know when you work on eight of the same things they, they all kind of blend into each other but i believe it was american wasteland and they we actually had uh punk bands modern punk bands re-recording older punk tracks and uh that was actually released as a separate its own cd soundtrack and, I, and that actually won a, a blockbuster music award it was like the first year Blockbuster had a video game category and, and yeah, we won it. It was awesome. <laughs> How much longer did they last? <laughs> yeah, they were, exactly. Blockbuster. Like, yeah. Guys, yeah. we're going to own this award for the next 12 years. Yeah, yeah And then exactly. Blockbuster's like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it might have been. That. I think they, they even won an MTV one too, which is a little bit more clout because that's still around. Although, <laughs> is it really? <laughs> well, let's talk about it. Like, Tell the Geeks gave us what your title was on those or those Tony Hawk games and, and what the span was of your career. Like how'd you get into working on the Tony Hawk titles back in the day? So I worked on the first eight games. I mm-hmm. started at, at uh, Neversoft. It was, what was it? It was December of 98. I believe it was that. Yeah. I think it was about that time. So I started when I started the, the uh, Neversoft had already gotten the license from Activision to make the game. The game was moving forward. Tony had just signed on like, he signed on a couple months prior to, to me starting. And really it was, um, I sort of took a leap of faith. I, you know, back when I went to, I'm, I'll date myself, but back when I went to college, there were, there were no producer roles or no video game producer jobs. It just didn't exist because you had like usually one guy or maybe two people that were, that were making video games. It was usually just a programmer, sometimes a programmer and one artist. So there was really no need to have 
a producer. Um, but as video games got more and more complex, the teams got bigger and bigger. You know, there became a need for someone to kind of make sure that everybody's doing what they has the, the resources they need to do what they do, that this person isn't waiting on this other person to get their job done and, and the process is moving slow, that the team stays on budget, that, you know, that just there's so many different little things that need to be um, tracked and, you know, from animations to uh, sponsors to all of that. So there became a need for producers in video games. And I was... Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to ask you what you actually did in college. Like, what was it? What, uh, I was I uh, marketing degree. I was uh, I I got a, a bachelor of science from Cal Poly Pomona in business administration. My my emphasis was marketing and sales. Wow. And I did sales for quite a number of years, and I was actually pretty successful in sales. Um, you know, I I I was able to buy, purchase a home, which back then is was is pretty easy compared to today. Right. Um, right. But uh, easy, easy is a is a strong word. But I, you know, I did well in sales. I was I was actually working for uh, one of the last companies I worked for was CompuServe. I don't know. Again, dating myself. I totally remember them. I yeah. So we, I was reselling that 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 network that they had for companies like. One of my clients was Viacom and they had people all over the world and they were trying to get their email and stuff. And this is pre everyone doing it on the internet. And one of the, one of the classic lines from one of my old bosses was, Oh no, people never do this stuff on the internet. It's way too, it's way too scary. It's wow. way too insecure. But it was at that time, you didn't have all of the point to point in, uh, in, encryption and you didn't have a lot of things. So, you know, even when I, back then, when I was buying stuff on the internet, I had a specific credit card that I would use because it wasn't entirely safe. So yeah, I did that for quite a while. And um, a friend of a friend was Joel Jewett, who is the president of Neversoft. And, you know, we would go on on different out trips, like vacations and camping trips and water skiing trips and stuff. And and it would always, a lot of times it would end up with me and talking to Joel by, by campfire about his video game company, because I've been a gigantic video game head, fan of video games since I was a little kid. I put every quarter I had in, into, you know, Phoenix and Pac-Man and Donkey Kong and all the, and all the video games and pinball machines. So I was a huge fan, but I'd never really worked on one. Um, so it was always really inspiring to listen to his stories. And at that time, Neversoft was really struggling um, through those times. They, they were struggling to, and we, and we touch on some of this on in the documentary, but yeah, he um, out of the blue, he called me up and had said that they, they got two um, licenses. They got two projects from Activision. <clears throat> they had just worked on a, a game, a previous game with Activision called Apocalypse. I kind of knocked that out of the park with that. So Activision gave him two licenses and he asked if I wanted to, you know, come out and check out their studio meet the people and see if it's something that I'd wanted to help him in managing one of the projects. So I went out there, I met, I thought it was awesome. I was just, you know, this is my, my world from a user perspective. I mean, can you imagine being a gigantic video head and then you get to go into a video game studio and see them making them. So yeah. And, and one of my, one of the, I think the, the save saves I had is I was also very knowledgeable. I could build computers. I could run computer networks. You know, I could build computers from scratch, motherboards, chips, everything. I, I, I had that kind of knack of, of doing that. So at the time, the lead programmer, lead, well, he's lead programmer, uh, programming director, and he's also one of the, one of the co-owners of Neversoft, Mick West. He, um, 
he was doing a lot of the IT work himself. He wasn't really too keen on having producers, but I think he saw an opportunity to offload all the IT work onto me. So <laughs> here you go. I, yeah, he he hated. I mean, Joel told me he's like Mick doesn't really like anybody, but he likes you. Do you want to you want to take a, a position here? So I was like, hell yeah! I made the jump. I made kind of the leap of faith and uh, switched careers up from sales to to this video game producing, which I was way over my head. In, in doing, I mean, I had no clue as to any of the, you know, this, the, the different, all the different, um, all the different things that you had to abide by for Sony and Nintendo, all the different rules and regulations they had when you submitted, like I had no clue about any of that. Um, so, in, you know, I came in, Joel, Joel said, Hey, we've got two projects. I've got this really big licensed uh, project. It's Spider-Man. So I think it's, that's kind of a little bit too big of a project to put someone who has no experience on. So I'm going to put you on this small skateboarding project. <laughs> wow. Wow. And, and it was the like, Spider-Man cool. one the Spider-Man well, one turned out well. I mean, everyone yeah. remembers that Spider-Man one and especially Spider-Man two was a, a yeah. really awesome game, but yeah, it, uh, just, it didn't do like what the high, and I love the Spider-Man game. I mean, I love that, that sure. what they did. Um, you know, we helped test it and so forth and I loved it, but it just, the, the Tony Hawk thing just kind of became a whole world of its own, you know, it took on its own kind of dimension and started blowing up so huge that it just made sense eventually to have never saw focused entirely on, on the, on the skate side and not, not really do much else for a few years. <laughs> and, and people wonder what happened to the team that made that Spider-Man one or the Spider-Man two that they really enjoyed. And it just, that's what happens is when the other rival property starts becoming the wheel, the, the wheelhouse of those guys, you really have to take the resources and point them in the right direction. Was there a, today we, we have these franchises and this has been going back like at least 10, 15 years, maybe where you'd have a call of duty game or an Assassin's Creed game. Or when I was writing for THQ, this wasn't actually not a THQ problem because they always had the raw versus SmackDown. But when they lost, but when THQ went under, you start. I remember having been told to change some of my scripts because they were farming out uh, the cutscenes to different companies, and some companies had a capacity for a really high quality cutscene, and other <clears throat> and other companies were doing almost like animatic cutscenes. Yeah. In, in things. So the question is about farming out to different companies, and you guys never stopped for <clears throat> handling Tony Stark, Tony Hawk. I almost said Tony Stark. Uh, you guys are doing Tony Hawk, but was there a, another company that was also handling the Tony Hawk franchise in the same way that today you have like a Call of Duty and every other year is a different company handling the Call of Duty title and some people like the odd years, some people like the even years. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. And we handled, I mean, Neversoft handled all the main platforms for the first, well, I was there for eight and then they did another one. So there was like the first nine titles, all the, 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 you know, the leading edge platforms, Neversoft would handle. What I mean is like for, for like Tony Hawk three, when we went to PlayStation two, there was still a huge amount of people that wanted the Tony Hawk two or Tony Hawk three on PlayStation, right? There was a ton of them out there. So we were handling the lead generation consoles. And then there are other companies that would you know, take what we were doing. And, and I mean, I, I give it, I give it up for them because they're, we were pushing, we were always pushing the envelope on the platform. So to take something that we were pushing the envelope on PS2 and try to make it work on PS1, it's mm -hmm. not an easy challenge at all. So 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely give it up to those companies. I think Vicarious Visions was one of the ones that did a lot of those, um, the earlier platforms. And then I, I'm not sure, you know, after, over the years, I'm not sure who who uh, who Activision would choose to, to do those platforms, but we would always work with those guys. You know, they would be constantly in our, back then we used a thing called SourceSafe that handled all of the code, content and everything. So yeah, I mean, we're creating accounts for external developers that would kind of feed into what we were doing. And we would always try to share as much information and you know assets as we could, but their job wasn't easy. I mean, trying to make trying to make a Tony Hawk three on a Nokia phone, for example. Right. I remember playing the, uh, I played the, that first DS. Yeah. Hawk, yeah. And I was blown away by the fact that I'm playing a game of that high quality. And granted that, that specific uh, Tony Hawk that came out on the Nintendo DS within, I think that, I think it might've been a launch title. Uh, it, it wasn't like another Tony Hawk game. I think because of the platform, whoever developed it, if it wasn't Neversoft directly, uh had take it had a pretty robust soundtrack still but the art was cell shaded and it had yeah, a different yeah. style to it yeah. um so i'm guessing that's also a bit of what you're talking about is not just these other <clears throat> companies creating some emulation model for a higher res higher platform version of the game but they're also just trying to figure out like how do we not just destroy this game and bringing it to a, from a PS2 development structure to a PS1? Yeah, I mean, that's... install base, the PS1 was massive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and then you throw in, I mean, the last game I worked on, Project 8, I think it was about 81, 82 music tracks on there. Wow. <laughs> wow. So you throw that into the mix with the majority of the the majority of the giveaways like the the you know the goals and and the, the big give payoff were were videos so you know using those as as payoff is a little bit difficult when you don't have a dvd that you're working with and, and you're working on a much smaller media um so yeah i mean there's those guys had huge challenges and then we were always every game we were trying to do you know one up the one before so we wanted to add more functionality add more animations add more you know trick mechanics whatever it is so it was yeah it wasn't it wasn't easy i think that one that ds one i think you're talking about was was it american skateland i think that was also vicarious yeah that was vicarious visions as well it's crazy that the quality just held up yeah like that because there's a there was a more aggressive uh platform you know generation shift in the platforms i think back then especially there in the late in the late 90s early 2000s mm-hmm. because we still had the additional competitors of sega and we we still had those those late kind of adapters to the cd dvd technology like we still had the gamecube yeah we still had yeah. we still had a lot more portable markets like we, mm-hmm. we still had the the psp i was joking with somebody mm-hmm. the other day about the dsi that was out for i think a month and <laughs> <laughs> i mean in everybody and then there was also a little bit of a wild wild west going on like you said with the cell phone market um, yeah yeah that was kind of going off as well yeah. is today any different i mean is today any different because i know that we've kind of homogenized things down to a Nintendo, a Sega, uh, a Nintendo, a Sony, and a Microsoft platform, yep. and then you've got the uh, iOS versus something uh, that is maybe Android based. But is there anything beyond that that you would be developing for? And do you still work in development? I'm not. Yeah, currently not in in development. The last thing I I worked on game wise was uh, with. Um, 
Supervillain Studios, who are no, who are a defunct studio, but that was Chris Roush, who was one of mm-hmm. the original designers on the Tony Hawk games, and Steve Gannum, who was also one of the uh, the programmers on on the Tony Hawk series. That was their company. We did a we did a left right scrolling skating game called Endless Skater, Transworld's Endless Skater. That's awesome. We started off doing it for the Microsoft Windows 8 platform. And at that time, we were told that that was, that was going to eclipse iTunes. Oh, boy. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that didn't happen so much. So the IP reverted back to us. And we then put it out on Android and, and iOS. And it's still out there. And you could, you could play it. Um, I would definitely be down to doing more game stuff. I, um, I, I, but the, this foray that I've done into, into movies has kind of mm-hmm. opened my eyes to some things that are a bit, I, I hate using the word easier. One's not easier than the other. They both have their challenges to produce, but you don't have to track down millions of bugs, right? You don't have to deal with memory constraints. You don't have to deal with discs constraints. You don't have to deal with a lot of different technical things that you have to deal with in video games that, that are just not present in, in film. So to that end, it's a, it's, you know, it might be a little bit easier from, from the, the whole QA perspective. Um, and, you know, also back in the day when we were making games, we didn't have the ability to update it over the internet. So when you brought, when you put a disc out, it better be bug free or as close to it as possible because if it was a buggy mess, your discs got pulled off the shelf and then you had to put, you know, had to go through the process of reprinting and that cost and you'd lose a bunch of money. So being on top of, as the games got bigger, being on top of that QA process was, was not easy. I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's a huge challenge for anybody that's been through, you know, a big game, video game out to multiple platforms. So I would be down for, for developing video games again. I'm not as, I mean... I'm not as interested in the mobile market anymore. I just think it, it's it's a challenge, um, and especially for people that were in the video game industry when I was. Um, you know, you you really have to focus more on the monetization engine than your gameplay. And sure. I think for myself and you know, video game designers and old people, that's kind of a it's it's sort of a stab in the side that okay my. It, the monetization engine is really what we're making, and then we put try to put gameplay around that is makes people addicted enough that they want to buy stuff. Um, so it's, it's just a, it's a completely different challenge in the mobile market. And, you know, unless you have some type of, you know, big time celebrity integration, you know, if you're making the Kim Kardashian game or something like that. Yeah. But those are tap games. And yeah, yeah. I mean, what you're talking about is tap games that are basically, you know, you run out of, you run out of taps and you want to pay yep. for more taps. Yeah, exactly. They're kind of a pay to win model. Yep. That yeah. All over the marketplace. Yeah. And- I'm not as into that. Uh, you know, it's just not, it doesn't, it doesn't really, I mean, yeah, if somebody threw me a contract and a right number and they wanted me to put together a team to, to do something like that, I would, I would, you know, entertain the idea, but I don't know. It's, it's just not as thrilling to me as back in the day where, you know, where we had a night, you know, a decent team of, of people, everybody was super talented and, and you're all working for the same goal. And then at the end of the day, you know, that you're going to get paid a specific amount for your, for your disc, you know? Right. Well, <laughs> well, comparing it, the, current climate of triple a games because it's it to filmmaking yeah I, I think 
because you were working on an independent documentary, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's yeah. uh, as I say, the early part of the show before we started recording. Uh, what, what the movie? When does it come out? The Tony Hawk documentary. We don't we don't have a, a release date, mm-hmm. a set release date at the moment. Um, we're still kind of um, going through distribution, trying to find distribution, and and working with distributors to to get a deal on the table. Sure. We also wanted we want to have a we're trying to put together a, a one night only in a, in some theaters across the United States and as you know right now is not a great time to be planning any of that. <laughs> no, no. So I'm sort of in a wait and hold mode um, because you know you kind of want to have a a little cushion of the film in the theater if even if you're doing a one night only it'll be killed if you have it streaming. Um, so we're, we're just trying to figure out all the logistics of dates and, and when, when best to, to do and, and timing and, and with the current, you know, coronavirus climate, what, what all of that's going to shake out. I mean, it's not just us, it's every film, every independent right. filmmaker, you know, South by not Southwest either. was, yeah, South well, by Southwest was canceled. It's just, I was in Austin that week, the week prior I was in Austin and people yeah. were pretty confident even seven days out that it was going to go on. Yeah. I was just kind of shaking my head and saying, I'm not so sure about this. And by the time I had returned to Los Angeles, it was it, it had gotten pretty bad. Uh, there's a couple things I wanted to add, mainly a parallel between the AAA climate of video games now, where people like you and I, to put out, uh, put out a title, we would have to go to an indie mobile market versus yeah. where you the situation you're in now with, as a filmmaker is a situation I'm in now as a filmmaker as well. We are not making the Avengers, so we aren't making studio titles that are akin to like the, the AAA titles. We're in the Apple yep. market. We are yep. in the we are in the mm-hmm. iOS market right now with yep. our indie films, trying to get them out. And uh, we were submitting to festivals this year, and I I just had to call a halt to it because every every festival we had been submitting to is is postponing or canceling yeah and you're just spending money hand over fist to submit these things yeah you're giving film freeway all your money right you're giving film freeway all your money (laughs) and i'm like hey film freeway can can you post can you actually pause my film freeway like like premium account because i'm not going to submit while festivals are actively canceling i'm not even sure if we're going to have a booth at comic-con this summer because comic-con may not happen and and geekscape has had a booth at comic-con for the last 11 years we're talking amongst ourselves. Like, I know we just put down a, a deposit on the hotel, but this might not happen, guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of crazy, and and I'm not going to diss Film Freeway because I mean, for what they do, if you could you imagine having to go to each individual no. festival site and fill no. out stuff? And ugh. I think it was Ad, I think it was Adam Films before that. I, I and there was another one called yeah. Without a Box. That, that Without that was a popular. Box was that was the one that Adam bought. Adam Films yeah. bought it. Remember when Adam Films was just putting out like pre YouTube internet shorts yeah yeah so and i mean those buying without a box yeah yeah but i would not i mean i'm not submitting to I, there was another festival we were going to be in it was going to be in uh I, and i don't even want to say because i don't i don't i don't want any fallout but i have no idea if it's going to happen or not my my inclination is that it's not going to happen um i think that's the safe bet um and i wouldn't it's tough. I mean, I know a lot of uh, filmmakers that are teaming up with pod, you know, film podcasts uh, mm-hmm. to to try to do sort of online, you know, online reviews and screenings and all that stuff. Mm. But no, it's uh, it's not it's not going to be an easy situation. I know, you know, it's sort of like champagne problems. It's you know, we're 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 safe. At least that's that's okay. If we have to move some dates, so be it. 
Um, I know just by the emails I've been getting, people really want to date now. <laughs> they want to see it now. They're getting people emailing me, hey, I'm stuck at home. I really want to see this. Can I buy it? You know. <laughs> well, it's understandable, but at the same time, you've got studios now putting yeah. their stuff online. Like you saw that yeah. Universal put their movies on VOD, the yep. ones that were theatrically released and the ones upcoming in theatrical releases. Yeah. They can't shift the windows because Trolls World Tour is already going to come out and it's really, yep. it, it will kill the movie if you, if yeah. you slide it. Where are you going to slide it to? And no, then, so you're having the same thing with the indie guys where, I mean, the studios, totally. you know, obviously they've got the budgets and they're, they're going to hopefully, they'll be, I mean, not hopefully, they will be fine, but independent people and even South by Southwest itself, I mean, can you imagine the losses that they're going to suffer in all of these other festivals? What I heard was $300 million to the city of Austin. Yeah, it's just crazy. You know, we were just at the Mammoth Film Festival a couple weeks back. We just got in under this whole thing, and and it was awesome. It was such a cool experience. We won two awards. We got uh, Best Documentary Feature and Best Action Sports Feature, which is awesome. But, you know, come away from that and then have this huge hit of, okay, well, that's going to pretty much be the last film festival you're going to see this year, potentially. Is, oh. uh, it's a little crazy. I want to introduce you to uh, my friend Tyler, who put out that Ska documentary last year. Oh, right. Yeah, and yeah. He, and he's, do you know about the Ska documentary? I think I've heard. Yeah, what's, like, what's the title? Pick It Up. Oh, yeah, <laughs> of course yeah. it's Pick It Up. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Pick It Up, the Ska documentary. And Tyler, uh, I've never actually met him, much like yourself, but I've had like, so many mutual friends with this guy and it premiered at Newport last year and Scott Kloppenstein, who's a big uh, member of the show, uh, he was in Real Big Fish and a bunch of bands and then uh, the people who made our theme song in Punchline, Steve, I, helped, I think helped produce the documentary. Oh, wow. Very Let cool. me introduce you to him because now he's, he just put out his trailer for his uh, last blockbuster documentary because yep. he actually lives in Bend where the last blockbuster is. And he was able to document the last blockbuster and the whole history of blockbuster. And I think like the Tony Hawk documentary, there's a, uh, a kind of a retro wave of let's go back to like looking at the late nineties, early two thousands or that, that those two decades right there. And let's document them. It's because physical media is disappearing and yeah. when those licenses are up. Mm-hmm. The, the media has gone with it. So things like we're all kind of looking back to like the age of ska and blockbuster and the Tony Hawk games. And I, and let me introduce you to Tyler because he's a documentarian like yourself and he's, I don't know how, how he's doing with releasing his stuff VOD and on DVD, but I think he's doing okay. And he, he yeah. might be a good person to connect with yeah, for sure. on email, but yeah, I'm always but, interested in making new connections. In that one, uh, speaking yeah. of soundtracks, cause it's something that, streaming movies have the same issue with is when you look at something like Netflix and we are definitely looking at Netflix right now as we quarantine ourselves, um, (laughs) (laughs) you'll notice that, uh, you know, I heard this, the statistic, but only a hundred movies on Netflix that are streamable right now were made prior to the year 1990, 91, Hmm. because Hmm. the music licenses that were acquired for those movies. And you think about movies with iconic soundtracks in the eighties, like the John Hughes movies, those movies did not anticipate, streaming they did not anticipate internet distribution and these things that you have to tie into when you're getting music yeah yeah are the tony hawk games that have like these iconic soundtracks and things like that if you were to start seeing the playstation game and the ps2 games and if uh, activision were to start redistributing these games even through (laughs) emulation on some of these 
marketplaces when you find out that like the PS4 or uh, or the PS uh, you know the five or the yeah, next yeah. Xbox is going to be backwards compatible <laughs> or everything use, yeah <laughs> yeah or they're going to use an emulation system and have yeah. these games is it going to affect the soundtracks? I would imagine so. I, I don't think that there was much in the way of. I, I didn't handle a lot of the, the. Those contracts were all handled illegal at Activision. Sure. But I would imagine um, <clears throat> they didn't. Uh, you know, a lot for for uh, some of the future uses. You also get into the situation where w- there's a lot of logos. You know, the, the game had a lot of, you know brand logos different kinds of logos throughout it um and especially with you know skaters having logos on their on their shirts and the contracts they had with each individual skater so i would assume that a lot of that stuff would have to get redone um Mm -hmm. if there's another you know if it's uh, emulation is a little bit tricky right i i because you're not really creating another game it's still the same game but i think if you repackage it and are reselling it you know, I don't want to play uh, armchair lawyer, but <laughs> but I would think they'd have to be a new game. Yeah, I would think it would have to. That you'd have to go through all of the the licensing of stuff again. Um, you know, that didn't happen. Like, let's say, like an example when when say like Tony Hawk One went from the regular sales to they had that greatest, I think it was called greatest hits or it was like, mm-hmm. so it was like a thing they'd put, it was like a gold bar they'd put on the top and then your price would get dropped a decent amount. And uh, Sony would drop their, their um, licensing fee. And so, I mean, in that, in that respect, you're sort of relicensing the game at a different rate, but it's still exactly the same game. Nothing on the disc has really changed. It right. just got this little greatest hits bar. But I think if you have now another version that was recreated or emulated to then work on this new platform, I would think you'd have issues with all all the you'd have to relicense everything, and I'm sure it's going to come at a different cost than it did back then. <laughs> well, how did let's talk, let's talk about the film? Like, how did you get yeah. involved in the movie? Was it something that was that the that the filmmaker? Because have you met the filmmaker in person, Ludwig? Yeah, Ludwig. Yeah, Ludwig and I are we're we're partners. So okay. we but yeah we not live in the states, does he? No, he lives in Sweden. Right, yeah, he lives in Sweden. So funny story of of how that came about. He had he was so Ludwig's a giant Tony Hawk fan, like probably the biggest walking talking encyclopedia of everything Tony Hawk. You name a band, he'll tell you what what you know what versions of the game that band appeared in. Uh, wow. You know, he'll everything. I mean, what skaters appeared when what levels were in what, what tricks came out when he knows everything. So he, he did, he was a YouTuber, you know, he was like, he had this YouTube fan uh, channel and he did this pretty in-depth, really detailed video of the history of Tony Hawk video games. And it went through each individual video game. And, you know, I think at the time when he did it, he was probably 15, 14, something like that. Um, Maybe, you know, maybe a little bit older, maybe 16 at max. Um, but I'm thinking it was 14 or 15 and I watched it and I showed my wife and she was like, Oh, you should comment on that. And, and I was like, ah, you know, no, I'm not, you know, typical you guy thing. Right. Yeah. Typical. I don't need any, you know, psycho fanboy, whatever. So no, no. And then she's like, no, really you should comment. So I did. I finally was like, and all I commented was thanks for sharing. <laughs> That's all I commented. Yeah, it. That was it. Thanks for sharing. And then I got an email back from him, <laughs> a message 
That was he recognized my name from Holy, the credits. He's the guy who went to the credits person by person. Yeah, yeah. And he was Whoa. and it was a very cool letter that he sent me. Very I still have the the um the message on from YouTube. And it was like this really long, detailed note. Really cool, really sweet. So we just started, you know, messaging back and forth. And you know, I told him, Hey, I sent this. I, I I sent the video to Tony, but he had already seen it before and he was, you know, his mind's blown that people are actually seeing the videos. So we sort of kept in touch. Um, and then uh, we were heading to Sweden. My wife had, when she was in high school, they had a uh, exchange student from Sweden. Uh, his name is Klaus and is like her second brother, right? So we were going to take a trip to Europe. We were going to go and visit Klaus in Sweden. And then we we're going to go down to visit my relatives in Italy. And, um, I just, you know, she's, she again pushed me, you, you should, we should really meet him. We're going to be in Stockholm. He lives in Stockholm. You should really bring an autograph Tony Hawk skateboard to him and, and meet him. And I was like, no. And then finally gave in. I brought, brought a deck all the way from here to, to Stockholm, met him for lunch. I think again, he was probably 16 at that time. And we just talked and he was really cool. I mean, very way more old, old for his age. Like he definitely had this older spirit in him. Uh-huh. And, you know, he told me that he was into films and he was getting into films and, and, you know, we had a great conversation and great lunch. And then fast forward about a year and he had done this little short and I guess it got the attention of a producer at, at Jimmy Kimmel who reached out to him and told him, Hey, if you're ever in California, come on out. He set up a trip, went out to, went out to LA. I guess the, this producer showed him around Kimmel. He's like sending me photos and I'm like, how is this kid getting access? He had a photo of him holding a Spielberg Oscar. I'm Whoa. like, how, how are you doing this? <laughs> so I invited him to, to our place. Um, I, you know, we we're going to battle it out on the video game. And I, I had started talking to him. I had already kind of thought about doing a documentary. You know, I'd talked to Chris, sure, um, sure, sure. Chris and did that whole thing. And so we were talking and, and I was talking to him about, Hey, would you want to do a documentary? I mean, you know, everything about this, you obviously have editing, you know, skills already. Is that something that you'd be in? And he was like beside himself and I, um, he was going to be going down to San Diego. I hit up Tony. I said, Hey, Tony, probably one of the biggest Tony Hawk fans ever is going to be in your area. Are you around on Monday? You know, it'd be cool if he could come and meet you. And Tony being who Tony is was like, yeah, sure. Tell him to come at nine o'clock on Monday. No problem. So I Ludwig went and talked to Tony and he, he then pitched it to Tony as well. And Tony was all on board. You know, I, I had already kind of talked to Rodney about it. Rodney was, yeah, dude, I'll do, if you're going to be making, I'd love to, to, to be involved in it. So that's kind of how it started. And from there, it was just like lots and lots of Skype inner, you know, Skype conversations between he and I, we would have, daily, weekly Skype conversations and just kind of putting the whole thing together. We did our first little shoot. He, he had some contacts that he made and, you know, it was just sort of serendipity. A lot of people that were involved, they were fans of, of the series. I didn't really have much in the way of funds at the point, at that point. Um, and so most for the very first little preview that we did or, or trailer we did for our Indiegogo campaign, everybody worked for free. They just did it, you know, as passion. And, and, uh, and I told him, look, if we get something out of the Indiegogo and we get this thing going, I'll, I'll definitely pay all you guys. So we did, we didn't hit our goal on Indiegogo, which was way crazy, but we raised like 17 grand and I could not believe that strangers are giving me 17 grand. 
but that helped get the get the thing off the ground and and it kind of proved to me that hey this is going to be viable we were get, we got interviewed by rolling stone and a bunch of other you know kotaku and other skate you know video game magazines were were talking about us so you know, just decided to roll the dice and 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 go full full throttle on it, and and did two two additional shoots, and you know, then we're 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 we yeah where we are today. You know, what we, was the title on that? Like like how long? It's been it about been? three years, mm-hmm. off and on. I mean, it hasn't been, um, you know, it hasn't been full time work for everybody for three years. We were there were about three different three different shoots that one, the first was about a week and a half of shooting. Second was about a week. And the third was just one day we did a pickup shoot with, with some people, which I showed the film to Tony. He thought it had a couple holes that, that he could fill. And he, he helped us out. He got us some people to interview, let us use his crew and his location. And we shot the last two interviews there and, and then got that integrated into the film. And, color corrected and sound mix and 5.1 and all that good stuff that you don't really think about. Cause this is my first film. <laughs> yeah. That, I call it the money hose where yeah, 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 movie, yeah, yeah. you just want to get the movie done. So you just like, yeah. you're like, you know what I'm paying? Yeah. I'm paying for expediency at this point. Yeah. 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 This isn't something that I prepared for it. it you know, at this point I know it's coming, but, yep. but there are so many, parameters when you start a movie that affect mm-hmm. that process that you're just like okay i'm just gonna pay for it that's yeah and that's kind of what we did you know we just hit each one of those i didn't this is again this is my first sure. full-length feature i've done after working at after working at neversoft i went to work for tony for four years i was a director of new media at tony hawk inc so i worked on tons of content like tons and tons of shorts and little content here and there and little skate videos and all that but nothing like this and nothing kind of prepares you for all of this. And you, you start going through it and you have, you know, I'm a budget guy. So I always, I live and die by budgets, but you start, I, if I looked at my first budget I made, I just laugh at myself. You know, I should have done what my brother, my brother always told me, like when you do contracting work at your house, when you have somebody that you want to, oh, I want to get that bathroom redone. You take what you think it's going to cost and triple it. And that's about what the end will be. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think film budgets are, I just don't know the producer that's made a, a film budget that's been stuck to it's there. No, it's, it's a little more liquid and it, there's always a contingency budget. Yeah. I don't know how much of a contingency budget you guys made because of the nature of your fundraising and the nature of your, how long of a tale is the, the movie that we made for epics. We did a documentary on zombies for mm. epics a couple of years ago and, and epics gave us a basic, I mean, they gave us a, a blanket number. They said, this is what our, our, this is what we're going to pay you guys for this documentary. And then we right. divided it up. We divvied the, the budget up mm-hmm. amongst the different things that we were going to go out and acquire and the different trips we were going to try and make and the different shoots. And I mean, you try and keep them all as close to a, a fictional pr- production window as you want, you know, to try and knock yeah. it all out at once, but things come up and you realize that some assets aren't available and that you have to pay or do a workaround on some assets or some people just want to get paid. My question to you guys is how much in-game footage was, uh, did you guys have access to in-game footage? Was that something that was uh, made available to you guys or was it like something you guys had to license from something that you already had worked on back in the past? Yeah. I mean, we're for the, for the video game footage, we're going to work with Activision and, and license and get, get their, get their approval to, to utilize the, the footage. That shouldn't be too much. I mean, we, we've also, I'm using, 
uh, Donaldson Caliph, they're like one of the one of the guys that sort of wrote the fair use laws. So sure. some, there's a good amount of it that's that's fair use, and what what isn't, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna just go out and, and license whatever I need Figure to license. Yeah, so, yeah I mean it's tough. or we have to if be things become unlicensable, then we're gonna have to change it. I mean, here's a spoiler. One of the songs I have in is is Gorilla Radio. Well, they're a very tough band. Rage is an extremely tough band to to license from now things might change because they were well they were supposed to be at coachella this year right and i guess it's going to be in october but for many many years that band it, it just was very difficult if not impossible to license anything so you just again you have to be fluid with it and and try and you want to be true to what you had but you also have to make sure that you cover all your bases when it comes to to the legal aspects of these things and you know, our documentary tells a story about a video game series. So, of course, we have to have footage of that video game series in it. Otherwise, it wouldn't, wouldn't be legit. So We found a, a guy who did Dawn of the Dead reenactments with miniatures. Oh, right. Because the person who, whoever owns Dawn of the Dead now. Yeah, which just won't let it go. Such an important movie. Well, they'll let it go for a price. Yeah, 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 <laughs> and, big and price. So, and it was tough because a lot of the, the scenes that we're talking about in the interviews and a lot, you know, Dawn of the Dead's like it's like one of the top five iconic movies oh, yeah. in that genre. Yeah. And I just remember talking to Alexander, and Alexander's like, you know, it's frustrating. And uh, in what's to to Alexander's credit, he uh, he had made a movie called uh this this george lucas star wars movie before that hmm. and it was you know, because of the nature of star wars licensing it was all fan footage you know all but right, luckily yeah. there was a, a pretty robust uh community of 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 filmmakers who had made fan films and so he just went back to that playbook and he's like okay there's we can't get dawn of the dead but we can get dawn of the dead fans and, we can get <laughs> dawn of the, and he found some guy at some weird horror convention who made miniatures of the scenes? Oh, wow, that's little, crazy! Like, not Legos, but they looked like little <clears throat> army man stuff. And he was making reenact, like really detailed reenactments of the Dawn of the Dead mall and the scenes. And he just took a camera to that stuff with a really cool, almost tilt shift macro type lens, and there it goes. <laughs> now th- that crazy. Was, talk about Dawn of the Dead, these really cool, familiar places come in, and and it's tough because I think Epic Epic's wanted worldwide distribution to be pretty locked up and safe. Uh, because I think the, I think the movie has been released only streaming here, but it's definitely I have a foreign DVD version of the movie, so I know it was released. Yeah, yeah, uh, foreign. And, and that's one thing that fair use, like fair use, is great for a U.S. law. But yep. the second we started looking at Europe and uh, different English-speaking countries for distribution, fair use kind of they had their own fair use over there. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, it's a little bit right. different. Just go back to video game playing around. <laughs> video game making. Just like, I mean, yeah, the production stuff that we're talking about, the early stuff about the bugs that we were talking about, like yeah, I think every piece of art making is just headache. Yeah, crazy. I and know. That, it's so much red tape, right? <laughs> money hose comes out, and you're just like, I just want this to go away so I can sleep tonight. Yeah, like, I just want this to go away. So you just take yeah. out the money hose, and you'll pay for it. And these, in the, these. These people know you're going to take out the money. Oh, I know. Yeah, because you have, yeah, you have to kind of play it. You know, I've been lucky. I've been sort of fortunate because this topic matter is near and dear to a lot of people. 
but you know, Universal doesn't care. <laughs> you know, like right, right. ESPN doesn't care. Like they don't care. <laughs> they don't, they, they, the people working there have probably no idea what the nine hundred was. You know, it's like they don't. They don't. Great. Our stockholders want you to pay us. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. great. But so you know, you try to do what you can where you can, and then you either you, you know, like you said, you, you shoot out the money hose, or you cut and, and edit your film. It's a. Uh, it's, it's tricky. I, I think I've told myself the next thing I do, it's all going to be everything original, like mm-hmm. everything original, no original music, original footage, original content, characters. yeah, everything completely original, but it's sort of hard to do that, you know, yeah, especially okay. if you want any kind of, if you want to do any bio, biographical documentaries, it's, it's near impossible. No, the, 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 in the, or nobody cares. And that's the crazy yeah. thing. Is like, if, yeah. if you don't have Captain America in your movie, no. nobody, no, nobody cares. Like, yeah, it's that's not a character I know of. That's not based on an IP I know of. That is yeah. a built-in fan base. The risk mitigation with this many like streams or niche audiences out there, like the risk yeah. mitigation is crazy. Like, we can talk all we want about, hey, you can make stuff for cheap now, or you can, you can find an audience that is... The audience is ten people who are specifically into that. There's, there's so many <laughs> audiences out now. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Unless you have something like a Tony Hawk or, uh, you know, the, a franchise that people are so invested, yeah. in, that it's really hard to hit a, an audience. I think it's awesome that you guys are making this movie and putting it out. The the most excited person is uh, Derek Cranavelt, who does our video game shows. Uh, <laughs> and, I think I'm a little bit more excited than Derek. <laughs> or maybe actually my <laughs> wife is my wife is probably more excited you're than excited, Derek. You're, you're excited to give birth to the baby and have the baby out the world. Derek's really yeah. excited to see it, but he's the one who sent the trailer and was like, you got to get anybody from this movie on the show. Cause they, <laughs> you got to know more about this. It's, you know, I, I would love for the movie to come out just for, for Derek to be able to watch it. You know? <laughs> Damn. Had I known Derek, we might've interviewed him as a, as an Uber fan for, you know, of the game and put him in the, in the dock. <laughs> hey, hey, Derek, you might be able to be. In the <laughs> no, we're not shooting anymore. I'm not shooting. I'm not color correcting. I'm not sound mixing anymore. Don't do it. Derek, no, uh, Derek that, but... you're going to be in the fan made sequel to the movie. And, uh, we just, like, Extra. How DV, that, some of the some of the DVD extras, yeah. DVD we can, extras we can, is just yeah, Derek yeah. railing on like when the movie. <laughs> Derek, please don't come out with like don't come down with like a fatal disease so we don't have to make you like the kid, the kid who gets rushed to Lucasfilm to watch the Star Wars movie before release. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like we well, that, I'll send him. I'll send him a damn screener. I mean, come on, <laughs> yeah, Derek. If you listen, Derek, the only way you're gonna watch this movie before, like. I mean, before it gets distribution, is you have to come out, come down. Sorry. <laughs> if, if he gets, if he gets corona. Oh, we shouldn't really. We should. <laughs> we shouldn't really uh, poke fun at coronavirus. But. That may not be the marketing strategy we want to go with. <laughs> no, no. The bad news is the movie's getting seen. The bad news is everyone who dies. Yeah, that's not good. Ring. <laughs> yeah, that's not good. That's not good. Damn. Well. I hope the movie comes out soon. I know you hope the movie. It will. It will. I mean, it's just we're we're just right. juggling. Yeah, we're just juggling this. What's what's happening? So, it will. You you guys will see it soon. Ralph, what's the best place for people to get information on you and the film? Like like what what yeah. do they follow any, what websites? Any of our social media that I mean, we're at we're at thps film. So and that's also our URL thpsfilm.com is our website. 
but at THPS film will get you us on Facebook, on Instagram. Um, you know, that's where we primarily Twitter, uh, we, we, we post around on all of those. So just follow us there. We'll update as soon as we have any information. Um, like I said, we're, we want to do a, a big, like one night only in, in cities that, that we've got, you know, massive fan base and, and it's just a matter of the, the current state of, of affairs in our country and not just our country and the world that, uh, that we need to kind of figure out and take a step back before we do any of that stuff. Um, Ralph, will your band be playing those events? <laughs> I'd love to. I'd love, I mean, we, we'd love to, we, we're always down to, to be, to playing. We actually at, in Mammoth, we had a, uh, a band, a, they're a cover band called the downhill jam. Mm-hmm. You should check them out. They only play songs from the Tony Hawk game. So, that's awesome. That's there's two of them that I know of. There's there's them and there's another band in Australia called Birdman, and both of those bands they only play songs from the Tony Hawk video games, and they did a they did an amazing set for us up in Mammoth. So if you're ever in LA, just check and they got a they've got a um, slot. Go check them out. They're super fun. Does it make you feel old to be like <laughs> holy crap? There are cover bands for a game that I worked on 20 years ago. There are there are plenty of things that make me feel old, man. These days, yeah, I just tipped 50 last year, so wow. yeah, it's 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 one of those. Um, you know, it's it's always cool hearing people. You know, the stuff I hear from fans and and other people, and and seeing that there's this band, and and I actually told them, hey, you know. I, since you're playing at my event, you got to play one of the song, the songs that we had. So I actually learned Sin City the, that my band did and, mm-hmm. and played it, which was, that was kind of crazy. I mean, someone else playing your song is, is kind of nuts, but they killed it. Um, but yeah, I mean, they actually make me feel young because listening to that music just reminds me of the back in, back in that day and, and reminds me that I want to go out and like go out there in the mosh pit, but I won't because, you know, I know I'm going to break something now. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's kind of my approach. Is uh, I'll watch from back here. Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm, a, I'm good like at. This, remember? Yeah, I'm good at filming that stuff. I'm good at that. Yeah, it's yeah. good. Somebody's got to. Somebody's got to. You know, get that all on camera and get all the spills and all that. That's that's me. Yeah, for sure. Well, hopefully we can uh, all congregate in the same places again soon. And, yeah, uh, and and that can lead to one of you guys, uh, one of your screenings. Hopefully, your band, let's pimp your band again. Yeah, Dead End Road. Dead End Road. Yeah, Dead at Dead, Dead on Facebook or Instagram, it's at Dead End Road Music. Cool. And what we'll do is, um, next time you're up in LA, uh, I'll come out and watch you guys. Yeah, for sure. And next time I'm out in LA, I'll come by. Maybe I'll come by your offices, and I can bring my laptop and do a little private screening for you guys. I think Derek just booked a flight from Vancouver. <laughs> Eric's like, okay, this is what we're going to do. Uh, if Comic-Con happens, I'm going to fly to LA, and then on the way to San Diego, we're going to stop in Orange County and hang out with the movie. That's what that's no, like. No, but I'm totally, I'm totally down. If, I'm once totally this down. thing starts going away a little bit, I'll come up. Where's your, off, where's your guy's office in we're LA? We're Valley. We're here. Oh, yeah, that's right where the video. That's the... Oh, we're Woodland Hills is where Tony Hawk was. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater was made, man. No, I just remember like THQ driving our Agora Hills and being yeah, like, yeah, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> all, yeah. all the software developers are there, like in the West Valley. Totally. Yeah, That's yeah. I used to live thing. in I used to live in Westlake during that time mm-hmm. because it was about ten to twenty degrees cooler than the valley. <laughs> totally, totally, totally. Yeah. Well, yeah, awesome, man. Ralph, great having you on the show, man. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Good, of course. Anything you need, you got, 
we're here for you. Geekscape. Yeah. And hit me up if you want to do one of those when this sort of calms down and people could start having, you know, more than six, less than six feet and be between them. Hit me up. I'm more than happy to come up and, and do a little private screening for you guys. That'd be awesome. Thanks so much, Ralph. All right. Thank you. Bye, brother. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, I enjoyed recording it. Like, Ralph's a homie now. That was a lot, 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 lot of fun. Um, so that's the Geekscape we got for you guys. There's more Geekscape coming up uh, in the coming days, coming weeks. I think I'm going to sit down and do a solo podcast. Uh, maybe I'll record it with Heidi where we sit down and we kind of talk our way through this because um, we've been social distancing together and kind of making sure that like we're looking out. It has caused me to go out and um, have some strange experiences, usually in the supermarket usually in trying to acquire goods. Um, <laughs> I am not hoarding toilet paper. I'm not hoarding hand sanitizer. Um, but we're getting crafty. And as far as passing the time goes, we're getting very, very, very creative. Um, shit, we watched Love is Blind on Netflix. I don't recommend that. I do not recommend that you watch Love is Blind on Netflix. But you know what? Once we watch one episode, the reality TV hooks or in and if and I just feel fucking dumber now I, I watched the whole thing plus the reunion special that's 11 hours of binge TV reality TV that is just I'm not getting that time back you know when they finally take flame to me to, to destroy the virus when they finally light me on fire and they say Jonathan like I'm sorry this is it we're gonna have to light you on fire to keep the contagion from spreading I'm going to be like, you know what? I wish I hadn't spent those 11 hours <laughs> watching Love is Blind. But we live in a freaking sci-fi movie right now, so we're going to do some strange things. Uh, and we need each other more than ever. If I'd have had this connection, maybe if I would have been recording Geekscape and connecting with you guys, I wouldn't have been driven to such extremes as watching fucking Love is Blind on Netflix. Ugh. And hopefully we get out of this unscathed and Ralph can make good on his uh, on his dream of releasing the Tony Hawk documentary to you all, especially to Derek Crenovel. And I would love a chance to see it as well. It'd be awesome. So Geekscape us in our road to normalcy, in our attempts to return to normalcy. Uh, Geekscape is forever. I love you guys. Thank you for listening. Please share Geekscape with your friends. Um, and if there's anything I can do in the interim for you guys, other than not choking to death, please let me know on social media through Geekscape, through Jonathan London, Jonathan at Geekscape.net, whatever you need. Get at me, get out each other, be there for each other. And till next time, Geekscape forever. Much love. Peace. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.